Alex Marlowe, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. We'll do a really quick intro today with a thank you to Jerome Hudson and Emily Jashinsky and Monica Crowley, who all filled in for me on the live show, SiriusXM Patriot 125, every morning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. And on the SXM app, you can get the full three-hour show. Uh, today's show, we, of course, have the monologue where I go through all the news. I catch you up on my family trip, not vacation, family trip that I took over the last week and a half. And then we speak to Tudor Dixon, who is likely to be the Republican nominee to take on Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. A lot to get into. Let's get going. start, I guess, by noting that I was, I went to the Cascade Mountains. So I, I had two legs of my trip. I did some family first part of the trip, seeing parents-in-law in a scorching hot Palm Springs and Palm Desert, along with uh, my parents who live out there. And uh, that was pretty wild, pretty wild up to 119 degrees uh, at one point, but it was still uh, enjoyable because you get the kids in the pool. Uh, but I did go to a family reunion, the Cascade Mountains. It just This country is just so unbelievably beautiful. Uh, you have to fly through Seattle, which uh, you try not to get infected by uh, Starbucks and Microsoft. Though Seattle's nice too. It wasn't there very long, but then you drive eastwards into America towards America, just incredible scenery. And there's a lot of hanging out with, with children, just a lot of young kids running around. And the routine was basically, you know, park and pool and then hot dogs and pizza and then park and pool and that's it. And that was the break. So uh, it was, I would say a family, va- it, was be, it would be called a family trip. I would not call it a vacation. I think that was how any of you were expecting me to be refreshed. I also did quite a bit of work on the trip, um, catching up on stuff. Some of it will produce, I think, compelling content for you. Uh, I'm working on a personal series I'm writing called The Summer of Rage, where I've done a deep dive with uh, my research team that helped me with breaking the news. And we're digging in uh, very deeply into some of the left-wing activism, the radical uh, pro-abortion, anti-Christian, anti-conservative radicalism that has swept the nation over the summer. Uh, The groups Jane's Revenge and Ruth Sent Us and who have done a lot of damage, both I think literally and psychologically to this country. Uh, And I think during that time, uh, during this summer, over 100 acts of violence have already been documented by the Family Research Council. And we went through some of those and some of the people behind it and some of the motivations behind it and some of the broader network. And you can see some of those. There's part two is on the front page of Breitbart right now. It should be at least five part series. So those of you who are are curious about that, uh, I recommend the front page to you at Breitbart News. Uh, But yeah, it was a, a good time of a lot of um, uh, uh, of a lot of delighting in how adorable my children are, and then a lot of trying to get at least one of them to stop screaming, and that was uh, that was the break. Hopefully, I'm refreshed by it. We'll see. All right, um, eight six six ninety five Patriot. Those of you who did not know that, um, though I'm still waiting on. I don't know if I got the rest of tails on my uh, on my uh, call board here, so I'm I, I'm not I'm not seeing my uh, VX software. So uh, let's get into the news. Um, I will say there is a few of the items that we got into last week, I think, or or, or before I left, 
are still some of the big ones. Um, I think monkeypox is coming back in a big way. I think we missed the boat on that. I think I warned about that right before I left, that monkeypox would be much bigger uh, than people were anticipating. And a lot of people reaching out to me, particularly those in the gay community, saying this thing is about to get big. And it is being it not handled properly by our government. They don't have enough vaccinations available. Uh, it's hard, too hard to get them. And they have blown this off for too long. And then now... Uh, it, it is here. It's in a major way. Uh, and America now seems to be the worst place to have it in the world, which seems to be uh, a problem when you don't have competent people who are sort of running the medical side of your government. You know, you got people like uh, uh, Tony Fauci in charge. So we have the most global cases because we are the biggest international hub right now. People come in and out of America. And if you don't have the stuff organized and you're not uh, telling the truth about uh, how people tend to be getting it, what are sensible behaviors you can get you can do to avoid it all that stuff then it's going to spread like a wildfire and that's exactly what's happening i think i mentioned that the last show before we were here and now uh it has really become a bit of a crisis and the world health organization basically declaring it a crisis as i noted u.s has most global cases and um the there is an emergency declaration that's under active consideration according to the great saint dr fauci who's never gotten anything wrong so 1,000 cases confirmed in New York, and that number is just going to go up and up and up from there at the moment. And just, again, we fell asleep at the switch every time. Because why? Because what's Biden up to? I mean, who knows, first of all. He doesn't even know where he is. Um, probably sniffing some hair somewhere, riding a bike. So he's got no plan. Fauci's got no ability to do any of this stuff. And we're going to be saddled with him for another couple of years. Everyone had this headline wrong. This is the headline that was at, that came up when I was out that uh, Fauci's going to retire in two years. And a lot of people were jumping for joy. That's, hor- that's horrific that we have to deal with this guy for another two more years. And I don't know what emergency declaration, what that's going to do. Why are we so behind? Why do we need emergency declarations? The, this stuff, people should have seen it coming. It was uh, clear that this was going to get bad. And aren't we supposed to be prepared for these things? Isn't that part of the whole goal? Uh, that Biden was going to shut down viruses? Wasn't that one of his main campaign promises? Oh, yeah, his campaign promises don't mean anything because he said he was going to have the economy roaring back. How's that going? And then he was going to shut down coronavirus. How's that going? Um, And then he was going to unify the country. And we all know the answer to that. Well, I was on my travels. I will say uh, the masking is just beyond belief. Um, So many people, it's clear that the mask is just a virtue signal that people just wear them because they want to send the signal I'm a good person. There's no science to it at this point. Hey, if you want to wear perfectly fitted N95 all the time, maybe it'll do something. But just so many people, you know, you sit in the restaurant and you watch people sit pretty isolated with their family and they're there for an hour and a half with no mask and then they put the mask on as they get up. And then people who walk past you in the airport terminal and they got the mask down and they pull it up and they pass you for a tenth of a second as if that's how a, a exposure works. Tons of masks on the airplanes again, even though they're not required and the state-of-the-art ventilation, the airplanes made it one of the safest places to be during the pandemic, during the heat of it. And we're seeing 128,000 now cases in the United States for coronavirus over the last seven days, which is two and a half times what it was. This time last year, deaths are significantly higher than they were last year. And again, we're probably undercounting it because um, I think that 
there's a lot of people who are who are I don't think the we have as rigorous standards for keeping track of the data at this point. Partially because the CNN ticker, the CNN tracker, their doomsday clock of how many deaths went away after Trump. So one thing that I, I'm working on officially is dawned on me was on my travels was thinking about how we don't have really any updated information on vaccines right now. There's almost nothing, even in terms of the medical people who are feeding me information throughout the pandemic, or I think pretty much nailed just about everything. Um, even they're not getting a lot of fresh information on vaccines. If any are working right now, if you need to get boosted right now, I will tell you it's pretty much universal. No one is getting young kids vaccinated that I know of that are, are in the know. People who know this stuff, that is one that seems to be purely a cultural and political move for the young kids. There's no one who is scientific that I know, even those who really like the vaccines are getting the young kids vaccinated. I will tell you that from um, uh, those who give me information about what's going on. But there seems to be very little common knowledge now about if there's any uh, merit to continuing to get shots at this point. Uh, which is pretty unbelievable because this was the biggest debate. If not, uh, this is one of the top debates in the country for I don't know, what was it a year, and it should still theoretically be going on. It is pretty discouraging, I have to admit. And there's so many things going on; it's just hard to keep up on all of it. Uh, maybe the worst is the global economy, where people uh, are continue to suffer in a major way. Top consumer brands have said that they were very happy to have raised their prices because it really did help them uh, offset some of the rising costs that are going on. Um, I'm talking about Coca-Cola, Unilever, Kimberly Clark, all told the Wall Street Journal that uh, price increases help them cover inflation. And they're keeping an eye on consumers, but the immediate plan is not to lower prices yet. This is part of the reason why I think you're seeing people fleeing some of the most expensive places to live in the country, San Francisco, LA, New York, DC, Seattle, Boston, Detroit, uh, in that order are seeing the most people leave. And it makes perfect sense because if you're spending more money on basics like groceries, gasoline, et cetera, then you know, San Francisco, I don't think there's a home you can get under a million dollars. Unless of course you just plop down on the street like so many people do and you put up a cardboard box or a tent and declare that's your home. Um, New York, I think the average rent is now about $5,000, which, you know, now we're talking about a, uh, we're, we're talking about the numbers of like well, $5,000. It's like a mortgage on a million dollar home potentially. And now no, that's what you get to, that's like an average rental in New York now. D.C. was terrifically expensive. I lived in D.C. for a long time, and the prices were going up at an unsustainable rate. So people are leaving. Why are they leaving? I mean, partially it's because, you know, the gas price is still high, ticking down a little bit, but still up, you know, nearly nearly double what they were when Biden took office. And you've got a lot of consumer brands saying prices are up and they're staying up. So as always, I recommend you check out anything John Carney is writing for us at Breitbart.com and our newsletter that we work on together, Breitbart Business Digest. Uh, the Fed, the latest wisdom is that the Fed is probably going to raise rates three quarters uh, of a percent, so 75 basis points, um, as opposed to one basis point, which would have been, I'm sorry, 100 basis points, which would have, which became the consensus for media, uh, for a minute and then it's kind of ticked back down. 
And this is, I think, a move that will shock the markets to some degree. But we'll see if this is able to rein in inflation. But their top their top priority is now to rein in inflation. It certainly seems like if this Wall Street Journal report's accurate, um, that is going to be a tough, it's going to be tough putt. Continues to be the story of the year, unfortunately, is the people just getting just getting pummeled economically. All right. Well, Fauci's back out there. I mentioned this earlier, and I got some audio of him. Uh, let's he, here he is on the Hill Hill TV show called Rising, where he's talking about masks. Let's play cut one, please. I think the masking situation is one that is really critical that would have been done differently. First of all, we did not fully appreciate that a well-fitted K95 or NK95 mask is much, much better than a cloth mask. And to wear a good mask, the data now are very clear that masks are very good at preventing both the acquisition of and transmission of infection. There was a lot of conflicting data uh, back then as we were in the early months of 2020. So the recommendations were a bit confusing about whether to wear a mask or not, whether you should wear a cloth mask Pause. or what have you. Right now, we are very, very clear that masks do work in prevention of acquisition and transmission. But you've got to get a well-fitted mask that has of a high quality. And the two we know are high quality are an N95 or a KN95. First of all, he couldn't, he couldn't, he didn't get the initials right to begin with. He was, he said K95 and an NK95, which is wrong. There's N95 and there's KN95. So he doesn't really know what he's talking about. And then who is in charge? The people who are giving the wrong, confusing information. He said the information was confusing. Now, who was in charge of that messaging? It was him. He was the guy who was in charge and he's still there. He is trying to bring back a culture of masking, which it's clear that there's a lot of people who want to just have masks forever, um, either as a virtue signal or maybe to prevent any sort of virus and coronavirus is going to be with us, no longer a novel virus. So there are people who want this and they don't just want the mask we had now, they want more severe masking. Of course, that's the case, because if you look in retrospect, obviously our response did not work. So whatever the powers that be told us to do, we did not do a good job shutting down the virus overall. So uh, what are the options? Should we have been more free or should we have been more locked down? Fauci clearly suggests that the restrictions should be much, should, should have, would have been much more severe if they could have done it again. Much, much more stringent is his exact quote uh, that he gives also in this interview. So, and uh, this is pretty remarkable that he is now uh, saying that actually we were, we were too we were we were too cash the masking you guys like that so and he's still gonna be there for two more years um i think this is why there's a lot of discussion that he's going to get investigated this came up on a clip on cnn cut two please senator Rand paul says of the republicans if they retake the house one way or another if we are in the majority we will subpoena his your records and he will testify in the Senate under oath. Uh, your reaction to Rand Paul and others saying they're going to investigate you if they take power. 
Well, there's there's no reason to do that. But if they want to go ahead, my records are an open book. They are talking about things that are really bizarre, John, like crimes bizarre? against democracy by shutting down the government. All I have ever done and go back and look at everything I've ever done was to recommend common sense, good CDC recommended public health policies that have saved millions of lives. If you want to investigate for me for that, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, good, and we should investigate him. But unfortunately, I think he's right, is that all the stuff he did is going to be in plain sight. I think we're not going to see a lot of super interesting stuff. He should be investigated just because this is this is what's done to everyone who is um, in public life on, on any side now. Everyone should be subject to a billion investigations. They're still investigating Trump. He's been in office for a couple of years. Um, because of why? Because he uh, made some phone calls on January the 6th that Adam Kinzinger didn't like. So uh, we should keep investigating him forever. So, uh, of course, Fauci should get investigated, but I do think he's correct here. I do think that we're going to learn he is has been open book. He just said in an interview that he basically, we were com- he uh, confused the public personally about which mass worked. It was quite obvious, and those of you listening to the show know that I said this, that unless you were using a 95 mask, you weren't serious about, about masking. So from the very beginning, and to wear a 95 mask was uh, way too much for this particular virus for the vast majority of people because the virus affected the old and infirm to a huge degree. And pretty much everyone else was mostly fine during the virus. People who were young and healthy basically did fine. And people who were older and infirm that they might have benefited from it, but there was no discussion of that. We were just told you wear a cloth mask or one of those surgical masks that, you know, pinch in the side so that uh, the virus can just flow around the mask and around into the sides of the mask. Uh, we were told that's all all the same as a fitted N95. And now who fits you for the N95s? As I mentioned in the past, Mrs. Dr. Marlowe, her fitting for her N95, she uses at work, takes about a half an hour. Half an hour. Were you all going to do that? Were you all going to go to some sort of shop? where they spray some sort of mist or chemical or whatever it is, and then they check the inside of the mask to make sure the fit was good enough? Is that what he's implying? It sort of is. It's sort of implying where he wants to go, but maybe you just wear the N95s now. Um, and those things are very stifling to have on for a long period of time. It, it, I, I One time attempted to run through an airport with a KN95 on. I think I made it about four gates before I had to take it off. And um, I'm in a, a terrific cardiovascular sli- uh, shape. Do a lot of stationary bike. So, uh, I, uh, but four, four gates with an N95 on, you're like, oh my gosh, you, you never breathe so hard in your life. So uh, that's where we are. Mass forever, perhaps. And uh, Fauci in there for another couple of years. Great. All right. So political things, some that are out there. Uh, Donald Trump gave his first major speech in D.C. at a conference of America, America First conference. It seemed like a lot of, people from his administration, not necessarily the ones, ironically, who were pushing an America first platform. A lot of people, you know, I think were much more cash about immigration, for example. Um, but they had a conference and uh, Trump spoke. He laid out a big plan. Uh, some of it is very intense and some of it is, I think, pretty sensible. We're breaking it all down at Breitbart. We have a big story with highlights. So you'll get that this morning, Breitbart.com. Uh, the, the reason why I'm not getting too much detail on it is because I think it's like a, it's like a 47 point plan. 
and that's a, that's a lot of points. Um, but I we do have a couple clips here. Why don't we play? This is this is cut twelve. I think this is the one that he was most. I, I think this is this is the biggest uh, thing right here. Twelve, go. The radical left's anti-police narrative is a total lie. Let's call it the big lie. Have you ever heard that expression before? The big lie. That's why next year our new majorities in Congress should vote to strengthen qualified immunity and other protections for our great police officers. They have to become our heroes. They are mine, but some people, they don't feel that way. They're going to have to feel that way if we're going to have a great country and a safe country. Yeah, so he talked a lot about uh, police, um, uh, not defending the police and make your law enforcement available, make your National Guards available for crises. All these are good. And I'm uh, curious here because a lot of the people put on the summit were a lot of the people who pushed the First Step Act and uh, which was, you know, a kind of a soft on crime bill that Trump had. I, I think the First Step Act had a fair bit of merit in it, but it was not something I was personally supportive of. I think I understood what they were getting after, but it was not the time or the place. Um, if you want my personal take on it, but it does, it was interesting that he showed up and he talked a lot about police and making sure that we have stronger law enforcement. And I, I think that's great. It's a good thing to talk about, but I found it very curious that he went to this particular place to do it. Cause it was a lot of the first step back people were putting on this conference and he hammered, uh, a tough being tougher on crime. But I think that's a great thing to run on given what's going on in this country and in our major cities, how crime is just, is just so unbelievable. Uh, and we're looking at things like in my old neighborhood in Los Angeles, I was just reading this horrible story in Fox LA, how this watchmaker in the Pico Robertson district, which is a Jewish area about two miles or so when it, from where I, where I grew up, and about uh, you know a mile or so from Beverly Hills, uh, where the smash and grab burglaries are just they don't stop, and the this Iranian man who's been there for a couple of decades, it just keeps getting his place smashed into, and the guy f- flees Tehran for a better life, comes to America, make watches, jewelry, stuff like that, and the smash and grab you know sixty Swiss made brand name watches. And they're doing this frequently. They're targeting the same places because there are these DAs who are woke and are backed by George Soros and are soft on crime and keep letting people out of jail. And those are the people who are in charge of our law enforcement because if they're not prosecuting the bad guys, they just get out. Some of them are getting out the same day, even if you catch them. We've never had more surveillance. We've never had more cameras. And then uh, the, the same places get targeted and then if they get targeted, then so what? Because if the bad guys keep getting out, they're going to just do the same thing over and over again. And because a lot of the goal is to devastate America, it's not to make America a stronger place, then there's uh, then the people who are upset just leave and everyone else just stays and, and deals with it and accepts their new reality. Uh, it makes sense that Trump is going to focus on this, though it's interesting that he did not crack down very hard during the summer of love in 2020 personally and had the first step act. And he seems to be making that centerpiece of his campaign. If he's going to run, which he presumably is. And I don't know if anyone credible is going to challenge him. I, I've obviously been paying close attention to what governor DeSantis is up to see if he's going to run 
uh, for anything. He seems to be very Florida focused. Uh, we got an incredible exclusive story from him at the front page of Breitbart.com now if you go to it. Uh, there was a, a story that was unearthed by the libs of TikTok, um, which is a, a, a mostly a Twitter account, but they get all of these unbelievable stories of uh, left-wingers posting their radicalism online. And the libs of TikTok account posted some images, which are just truly stunning, of uh, uh, drag queens and transsexual, transvestites, if you want to call it, at a bar in Miami doing a drag queen show for children. And there's a lot of nudity. A person who's clearly born biologically as a man, but has been made up to look like a woman and is nude, dragging a child around this bar. And DeSantis is coming after their liquor license, it looks like. And if you're going to do this stuff, you're going to, you know, do what should be illegal behavior, certainly wildly inappropriate behavior. Um, nude trans people dragging around children in a bar, then you're not going to be able to, you know, sell liquor. That is a, a clearly, and if they can't, then they're going to be out of business. And so this is amazing stuff from DeSantis. I don't know if it's a national agenda yet. So uh, I got a close eye on that. Looking forward to seeing where that goes. But it does look like Trump's kind of uh, on his own at the moment in the uh, uh, running for president on the right at this time. This has led to a lot of people trying to come after him even harder than they were before. Merrick Garland, the attorney general, is suggesting that uh, he is not ruled out charging Trump criminally. He was talking to Lester Holt on NBC. Let's play cut 10, please, Nico, go ahead. You said in no uncertain terms the other day that no one is above the law. That said, the indictment of a former president, of a perhaps candidate for president, would arguably tear the country apart. Is that your concern as you make your decision down the road here? Do you have to think about things like that? Look, we pursue justice without fear or favor. We intend to hold everyone, anyone, who was criminally responsible for the events surrounding January 6th, for any attempt to interfere with the lawful transfer of power from one administration to another, accountable. That's what we do. So if Donald Trump were to become a candidate for president again, that would not change how you move forward or don't move forward? Uh -uh. Say again. We will hold accountable anyone who is criminally responsible for attempting to interfere with the transfer of power from one administration to the next. Uh, so I think he has to say this. I think that he'd probably be in trouble if he didn't say this stuff. Um, but I do think that that is noteworthy, that they're still looking at ways to uh, put Trump in cuffs. which They're, they're going to fail at, but they're going to take unbelievable amounts of time. Um, they're going to do unbelievable amounts of time on this issue. All right, let me do a woke update for you. San Diego Comic-Con has been mocked for using gender-neutral Filipinx to refer to Filipino people. So like Latinx and Latinx, but with Filipino. Uh, so they're doing that. I, I would definitely include the, uh, the trans story from DeSantis in our woke update. I should have announced that with our theme music, which we don't have yet. We should have a uh, trans swimmer, Leah Thomas, who is a man who beat a bunch of women and then sandbag other races to draw a little bit less attention to himself as he swam these races, has lost his bid for NCAA Woman of the Year. Uh, this is a headline that, again, it's hard to satirize this stuff, and yet we do. Uh, so that is a... a, 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 a 
it, it is an unfortunate day for Mr. Thomas, who will not be the woman of the year in the NCAA uh, swimming ranks. So that's uh, something that is uh, sad to some degree. Or, or happy, either way. Uh, Maryland School District has required assisting, uh, is has required assisting child gender transition. And this is something where they're doing this around parents' backs. In Montgomery County Schools, um, which I believe is relatively close to, to D.C. Yeah, I think that's Beltway, in, at least to some degree, not Beltway adjacent. And their uh, administrators of the school district are requiring teachers and administrators to facilitate a child a child's gender gender transition and they're required to lie to the child's parents according to district-wide guidance so the parental re-education program that's going on uh is extended here and you are supposed to uh, in, encourage parents to be non-supportive. And if you can't pull that off, then just to basically ignore them and allow your child to transition in the public schools without the parents knowing about it. So you got to pull your kids out of these schools immediately because you don't know what's going on and they're pretty much putting in your face. This is the plan. So Montgomery County, Maryland. Um, uh, no wonder that uh, the Republicans not happy with the Republican governor there. Not say the governor himself is directly responsible, but uh, no wonder Republicans are re ready to see that one end. And then the last one I will bring up for the opening of the show is continuing to be amused and impressed by the unbelievable Kamala Harris, one of the great minds to ever uh, grace our presence in the news media and in talk radio. Here she is speaking at a very important town hall. Cut five, please, Mr. Nico. Good afternoon. I want to welcome these leaders for coming in to have this very important discussion um, about some of the most pressing issues of our time. Um, I am Kamala Harris. My pronouns are she and her. I am a woman sitting at the table wearing a blue suit. Why does she mention all these things that everyone knows? We know she's Kamala Harris. We know her pronouns unless she changed them, which of course would not be new. I mean, we knew what they were before. And she was wearing a blue suit. If you were not a blind person, literally, then you would see that she was wearing a blue suit. She was. Uh, th th this is the preoccupation of the left right now, is that whether or not you're uh, conveying obvious pronouns. So it's actually quite disturbing. It's hilarious, but it's also quite disturbing that this is, uh, she thinks this is worth people's time. She thinks this is an important thing to announce that she goes by she and to announce the color of her suit. What, uh, what is the significance of this? She's been doing this for a while. Uh, here she is offering pronouns 2019. Play cut six, please, Nico. Good to see you, Senator. Thank Hi. you for joining us. How Appreciate it. How are you? Anna, thank you guys. And my pronouns right. are she, her, and hers. She, her, and her. <laughs> Mine too. All right. Oh, you're not supposed to say that, Chris. That was Fredo in there. Fredo Cuomo. Um, Fredo, they're trying to revive Fredo. Dan Abrams is doing it, who is a... Um, Dan Abrams is still on Sirius, right? He's on... Um, he, he's everywhere. The guy's got a lot of energy. He's a big guy. I, I don't like a lot of stuff he says, but uh, he's got some energy. But he's got a news channel called News Nation. I don't know where to get this. Where to get News Nation, but um, uh, Fredo's getting a uh, primetime show. So Cuomo's coming back. He's on the comeback trail. Uh, this, this is where, is this just a, some sort of a game for Dan Abrams? Because I don't get, 
who needs more Fredo? Like, what is the appeal? I thought the appeal was on CNN that Jeff Zucker found him manipulated, uh, manipulate a and he was deeply tied to the Democrat establishment. But now with his brother on the outs of the Democrat establishment, who's dying for more Fredo? I don't get it. Dan Abrams, apparently. So, and he's just teeing it up so that people like us at Breitbart, we're going to mock how he'll get no ratings, which he won't. But then maybe he'll think that that gives him more attention. People mocking Fredo's lack of ratings. All right. Well, he uh, he should get canceled for making fun of Kamala Harris's pronouns. That's my take. Today is Tudor Dixon, someone I've been mean to have on for a long time. Uh, she's probably going to win, though not for sure, the Republican primary in Michigan, which I think is about a week's time. As we're recording this and going up against Gretchen Whitmer, who is one of the strongest Democrat candidates, not that I agree with her on anything, but one of the strongest Democrat candidates, I would say running right now and someone with national ambitions, you could see her on a ticket for president on one slot or the other down the road. So definitely a race to watch. And Tudor Dixon, I think, gives some pretty compelling answers to my questions. Tudor, great to have you on the broadcast today. Thank you for having me. You can go to TudorDixon.com and at Tudor Dixon on Twitter to support her campaign. Check out what she's all about. Uh, Michigan's a very interesting state. We've got a lot of Breitbart readers there and listeners, and it was a state that I think was largely seen as a purple state and a pretty a representative of where America was at collectively. Uh, it, it is interesting to note uh, over the past year, year and a half or so, I think we've seen Governor Whitmer govern as more totalitarian, more left wing than I think a lot of people would have imagined. And, and yet she still maintains pretty decent poll numbers. So I'm kind of curious your thoughts on Michigan and uh, is it changing? What are the patterns you're picking up on and sort of what, what's become the centerpiece of your campaign? Well, you know, we have a Republican House and Senate. I think that the strong traditional American values are very strong in the state of Michigan. She doesn't have a an opponent yet, you know, who are still in the primary phase. So I believe that she is is just kind of waiting to see what what happens, who gets through this. But we know that she's nervous about our candidacy, and she know I've I've been told by people that are in the know and the Lansing area, the capital of Michigan, that say the last person she wants to go up against is you. So I do believe that those numbers will change once we get through the primary. But, you know, we just had an attack ad go up from the Democrats. So this is what we're starting to see now is that the Democrats, when they they feel a threat, they start to attack the opponent. This is the first time in a primary we've had such a direct attack. So they'll be spending $2 million to attack me over the next seven days. So it seems like with Whitmer, she has, during the pandemic, had some of the strictest coronavirus measures in the country, and she sort of seemed to relish it, and she enjoyed her national profile, a lot of positive stories on MSNBC. Uh, is uh, Do you think this is the, do you think that she was more interested in building a national profile than focusing on what's best for the state? Of Michigan, because that's what it did seem like from afar. Uh, was that your experience witnessing it firsthand? 
Absolutely. And I think people across the state felt that way. We saw her auditioning to be vice president. We know she was on the short list to, to be vice president. And she. So it seemed as though she felt that the stricter she was with lockdowns, the more radical, the more incompetence that Joe Biden would see her as the perfect mate for him go to go to Washington. And she did create this national presence. So if you saw her recent fundraising report, 40 percent of it is from outside of the state. Much of that is California and New York. So those radical California and New York policies she wants to bring to the state of Michigan. And then she's now being considered on a short list for running for president in 24. I think the people of Michigan need to understand that this is a person whose long term goal has always been to leave Michigan and go to Washington and take her radical policies there and her radical policies during the pandemic, which was the the most lockdowns we'd seen in the country. We had kids out of school longer than I think any other state. We had a terrible problem with nursing homes, similar to what we saw in New York City. She put COVID patients into nursing homes, even though she was told not to. We had a disaster with her incompetence on unemployment, leaving people on unemployment that shouldn't have been wasting over $8 billion of taxpayer money. So people look at her and they say, this is a catastrophic example of leadership or incompetence in leadership and someone that could potentially go to Washington. But we have people out of California and New York that are saying, gosh, we'd love to see these radical policies go on to take the country even further left. And I think that's why it's so crucial that we stop her here in Michigan and end her political career. Yeah, this is something that had crossed my mind also, is that if she does win and get reelected, it does put her uh, in a uh, in, in a in a small group of people that could potentially succeed Joe Biden and become president or end up on a ticket as vice president. And everything that we witnessed from afar is that she does indulge a lot of those worst tendencies that Democrats have, where she just, just does seem to use her power and she seems to try to crush people who disagree with her politically. Uh, she does not seem to have great track record of accommodating people who disagree. And this seems to be the trend, and she's emblematic of this, of uh, most national Democrat figures right now. And the scary thing. So it's a, you kind of get a twofer. If, if she doesn't win this thing, then it also, I think, wipes her out uh, on the national stage, which is probably a positive. Uh, but has she had to answer for all the economic havoc that she caused Michigan's economy uh, during the pandemic? In the There's a CNBC study that just came out uh, rating the business climate in uh, the, uh, throughout the country, and Michigan has dropped significantly since last year. All, all of this is due to her coronavirus response. Has she had to reckon with this? And if not, give us a, a plan that you would have if you get in there. Yes, this is, certainly she has not because she has, I mean, in the state of Michigan, we have the attorney general as a Democrat, the secretary of state as a Democrat, and obviously Gretchen Whitmer is a Democrat. So there's no one holding her accountable to the things that she has done to destroy the state. And in fact, she's coming out and they're running advertising right now that are blatant lies. She's telling the people of Michigan, I've grown the automotive industry by 25,000 jobs. We now know that that's not true, that since she took office, we've lost 3,000. We're seeing now that Ford is saying they're potentially laying off another 8,000 and we'll continue to pay our $100 million incentive to keep them here while they walk out the door of Michigan. And it's, it's catastrophic, like you said. So we see not only did her policies during COVID crush businesses, but when I go around the state, I hear from businesses across the state, she's still doing this. She's ruling with an iron fist. She has 
a big brother government when it comes to job creators. She's in there trying to cite them and find them and use her agencies, weaponize her agencies to go against business. It's the most incompetent leadership we've seen in the state of Michigan in our lifetimes. And we will hold her accountable. We have to get in there and make sure that we have a plan for government that is friendly to our job creators. But overall, the state of Michigan is really in decline. So if you look at where we are, our foundation of our state, education has suffered and significantly under Gretchen Whitmer. She had her kids out of school for, like I said, longer than almost any other state. And we're now 38th in the nation. And it looks like if we stay on this trajectory by 2030, we'll be in the bottom five states in our nation. Again, she had an opportunity to help students. She was given, the legislature said, hey, we're going to give you these reading scholarships, the $155 million worth of reading scholarships to get our kids back on track. She vetoed that. She did not want to help any students because she didn't want parents to be involved. Our, our students are continuing to be behind. We just had our literacy exams come back for third graders, and 50% of our third graders failed. So you look at us economically. Well, our future is not good when we have a failing education system. We've got some of the most dangerous cities in the country. And when, it, when we look at economy, her policies continue to kill the economy because, like I said, she's weaponized her bureaucracy against business. She has this theory that government needs to control, government shouldn't trust, and government should be inside of your business telling you whether or not you're okay to move forward or you need to stop. We have businesses tell us all the time they're leaving the state of Michigan because they just can't handle the bureaucracy coming after them. And then when I talk to businesses outside of the state and I say, why aren't you coming into the state of Michigan? They say, We're, Michigan's known as a gotcha state. You have a government that's going in and trying to get you and bust you and, and hinder you doing business. We're even chasing off the automotive industry. Our legacy industry is now going to Kentucky and Tennessee. And when I ask them, they say, Michigan's just not in the race. We're, we have to compete with our largest competitors who are going to EV vehicles right now. And to do that, we have to create new businesses. We have to build new factories. And when we go to Michigan, they say, nah, we can maybe break ground in eight months or a year. We have to go through this rigorous process. If we go to the states down south, they say, we're going to help you streamline the process and have you breaking ground within a couple of months. We are a disaster when it comes to economy, safety, and education. And that's why we've got to get this governor out of there. Uh, Tudor Dixon is on the line with me. She is running for governor in Michigan. She's leading all Republicans in the polls right now to take on Gretchen Whitmer. And I want to talk about her mandates. She told people that you should not travel. And then she made a trip to Florida on a private plane. And then she told Michiganders to not go on boats. And then she and her husband were caught partying on a boat. And then she told everyone to mask up, but she got caught at a Lansing bar partying with her friends. She had no mask on. Uh, This is the type of stuff that you would think would really irritate Michiganders, but are are they even aware that all this happened? Was the media, did did the word get out? And uh, if so, do you feel like there could be a backlash brewing to some of this? Honestly, thanks to Breitbart, yes, they are aware because Breitbart was breaking most of those stories. So people are aware of the hypocrisy, the private jet to Florida to see her father, who she said was sick after people lost their loved ones and they had to die alone in the state of Michigan because she wouldn't let anybody go near anyone in a hospital or a nursing home. And certainly we were in a situation where restaurants weren't open and then when they were, we couldn't sit with more than six people and then the governor goes in and celebrates with 
12 people packed at a table together and just tells the owner, I'm the governor, I'll do whatever I want. People absolutely remember that. But even more so, they remember their kids being taken out of sports while Ohio is playing. Kids on the border get to go down to Ohio and Indiana and keep their keep themselves um, up on their sport and, and make sure they're still training. Kids in Michigan can't do anything. Parents were begging her to let them play. And they had a group literally that said, let them, that was called let them play. That fell on deaf ears for way too long. Finally, she lets them play. The restaurants are still closed. She had restaurants closed for longer than any other state. We lost 3,000 restaurants in our state, and restaurant owners were begging her. Again, no response, no response. And think about this. When you're a business, I've talked to our businesses. They say, we want to comply with the standards. We want to make sure people are healthy and safe. I I come from the steel industry. We had a steel steel foundry in Michigan, and we started every single day with a safety meeting. Every meeting we had started with a safety meeting because you know what? Businesses want to be safe. You look at South Dakota where the governor said, I trust the people. I'm going to make sure that they have the standards, what the CDC says is safe, and I'm going to trust them to operate their businesses and their lives in a safe manner, and their economy was fine. Michigan was told, you're not trusted at all. This governor was a complete hypocrite. She robbed the kids of their education, robbed them of potential scholarships and sports, robbed people of their livelihoods and their life savings and their, their businesses that they started from scratch. And no one has forgotten that. As I travel across the state, I'm telling you, there is going to be a silent majority in the state of Michigan who is afraid to come out and say anything against her now because she's a very vindictive person. But when it comes to voting time, they will be voting Gretchen Whitmer out. Um, Let me ask you about something you alluded to for a moment there, which was the nursing home policy that Governor Whitmer had, which was pretty disastrous. It was almost on par with some of the ones that I think got more higher profile in New York and New Jersey. And has she been held accountable for this, especially considering that she literally arrested hair salon owners for wanting to go to work? And then she was presiding over some uh, policies that certainly led to deaths in nursing homes. No, she has not been held accountable, and she needs to be because we continually find more deaths that were not reported or underreported. This is a situation where she received, this is another situation where here she is, supposedly a leader, but getting information from experts and being too arrogant to be able to actually listen to the experts and make an informed decision. And so when the experts went to her from the Nursing Home Association and said, please, whatever you do, do not put patients into these nursing homes. You have field hospitals, use those. Whatever you do, protect these elderly because they are the most vulnerable. That did not matter to her. She went forward with her plan. She put people who had COVID into nursing homes. In some cases, they weren't even nursing home residents that she took out of the hospital, put back and put into nursing homes with these people. That was our highest number of deaths. Most of our deaths were from nursing homes, and that can be directly related to her policies and her unwillingness to listen to the experts, and yet she has not been held accountable, and she should be. So uh, if she wins re-election, again, she's going to go for national office. She wants to be president, and I think a lot of people have been trying to draft her to be a presidential candidate. 
It, it, does this remind you at all of uh, Jennifer Granholm, your former governor, who, if she was not born in Canada, I think she absolutely could have been on Barack Obama's ticket in 2008. And uh, who knows where she would be now. Uh, she's the cabinet secretary and I think one of the one of the worst ones of a group of pretty bad ones out there. It, it, is, it just seems to be very reminiscent of it seems like we've seen this playbook before and it's one that doesn't go well for people like us. No, it certainly doesn't. I mean, look at the situation we're in with gas prices. This is Jennifer Granholm has become our energy secretary, and she's laughing about the cost of gas. And here we are, we're, we have abandoned energy independence completely. And I think that you need to understand that this is very reminiscent of Jim, Jennifer Granholm, because Gretchen Whitmer has a very radical energy policy. We have a pipeline in the state of Michigan that provides 65% of the propane, which is how our, our in, in the upper peninsula of Michigan, which is how they heat their homes, 55% in the lower peninsula, 80% of our jet fuel out of Detroit, which we're trying to get people to do business in the city of Detroit, and that's our largest airport. And then we also make plastics, and this is all the starter chemicals for plastics. I mean, we make cars, so uh, the majority of the business in Michigan is car, and many of, many of those businesses are plastics. And we have Gretchen Whitmer who's saying, you know what, I want to shut this pipeline down because she is a radical environmentalist, more radical than Justin Trudeau. And that's saying something because Justin Trudeau is fighting against her on shutting this pipeline down. So think about moving her into a, a position in Washington. We would end up with just another radical far left crazy environmentalist. So you get in there as governor. Give me the first three things you're doing when you get into office. Well, we're going to have choice in education first and foremost because we should have no wrong path for our kids in this state. We're going to also take a look at our policing system and make sure that our police are fully supported, that they have the funding that they need, and that they have the, the best benefits in the country so that we can make sure that when police are looking for a place to work, they go, Michigan's the number one place, and they also feel supported by the chief executive officer of the state because right now, Gretchen Whitmer has come out and she said she supports the spirit of defund. This is catastrophic for the state. Police officers are being ambushed in the streets and they don't want to come to the state of Michigan, but we're going to change all that and make sure there is no better place for a police officer to work and keep our city safe than Michigan. And we're also going to immediately look at overregulation in the state because this state has a massive amount of overregulation, making it hard for job creators to come here or for entrepreneurs to start up. I'll even tell you a story about a woman out of Holland, Michigan, who has a hair braiding company she, um, shop. And so people come to her shop, they want their hair braided, but she doesn't, she hasn't been able to go through the licensing process to be able to wash hair. Now think about that. How many of us don't know how to wash hair, but we have such a stringent process that you have to pay to get a license to wash hair. So she loses half of her business right now because she hasn't been able to get that license. We're going to reduce regulation and make the state business friendly again. One thing that is that we covered at Breitbart recently is that Governor Whitmer has removed some pro-life programs from the state budget. Uh, everything that we've seen since the leak of the Justice Alito Dobbs opinion uh, earlier at the in the spring through the summer have sh has shown, I think, that the Democrats' strategy on abortion has not gone well. I don't think it's bringing people to their side. Uh, again, Governor Whitmer doesn't seem to have gotten the memo here. She seems to be cracking down on pro-life causes more in the state. Uh, are, what do you think of this one, and what is your agenda when it comes to life if you become the governor? 
Well, think about how radical she is on life. She has, or, or I guess uh, pro-abortion, because she has vetoed, just in the, this latest budget, she vetoed all safe housing for pregnant women. Think about how nasty that is to go after women who need a safe place when they're pregnant. Uh, vetoed funding for safe housing. She's vetoed any funding and any, any grants for couples who want to adopt. No grants, grant money for couples who want to adopt. This is something that we, we need to have children adopted, and she wants to veto that. She's vetoing funding to pregnancy centers that don't offer abortion and fund pregnancy centers that offer information about adoption. So she is anti-family. We immediately change that. We will come around these families. We want to make it we want to make it less expensive to adopt. We want to make it very affordable to adopt. We want to make sure we are promoting adoption. We want to make sure that women know that they won't be, there's no stigma around being young and being pregnant. And that if you want to have a career and be a mom, we encourage that. And we want to come around businesses who also encourage that and offer incentives to businesses who say, we want to be the most family friendly business out there. We want to make sure that your health care is paid for, that you have family leave, and we're going to help you with child care as well. We're going to go from being anti-family and telling women that they only have value if they are not mothers to being fully fully on board with family values and saying that family is the most important thing. That's how we grow as a state, and that's how we grow as a country. Tudor Dixon, candidate for governor in Michigan. Uh, fill us in on where people can go if they want to support you and your candidacy. Please head out to our website. It is TudorDixon.com. That's T-U-D-O-R-D-I-X-O-N.com. This is our last week. We need you to get out and vote on August 2nd, too. Yeah, exciting race. And I know you got to get through the primary first, but then the general in particular, I think it's going to be one people are going to be watching. So uh, best of luck to you the rest of the way and check back in sometime. Thank you so much. All right, that's all for today's show. Thanks for producer Greg Eben, Nico filling in for Zach, Robert Marlowe helps me pick topics, and all of you who've told 10,000 friends and family members about the show. We appreciate you, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. I got stars in my-